Welcome to That's Debatable, the best sports podcast on the internet. I'm Clint. I'm here with Mark, and we are here to recap week four of college football. And in this episode, we're actually going to just look at one game. It was the game that we were both most looking forward to, Wisconsin-Notre Dame, the Shamrock Series game. And this is one that was interesting because, obviously, last year with all of the COVID changes this game was scheduled to be played last year up at lambeau field and that game was scheduled now or excuse me canceled now from what i understand they are working on getting it rescheduled possibly for next season um but hopefully getting that locked down to still complete that um i don't know if you want to call it a home and away uh because they're both neutral site but um but that that's one I hope that we can do again, especially if we get this kind of an outcome, because, man, what a game we had in the Windy City. Um, just first impressions, Mark. What, what kind of your first impressions thinking about this game? Um, proud. Uh, I'm super proud with this win. With this win. Um, you know, I, I get the 12 and 18 doesn't necessarily – it's not a super close game when you look at ranking, but on paper I felt like the game was much closer than that. Um, I felt like it was more like a could have been easily like a 14-15 matchup. Um, I think that it's unfortunate for Wisconsin that they started the season with probably the best team in the Big Ten. Um, and they didn't play awful in that game, just not good enough to win. Uh, so I was proud. I was super proud. Mostly, I, not even just defense. I'm I'm proud of both sides of the ball because I feel like the offense overcame some adversity at times. Um, and you know, you had a, had a quarterback change and, and it's like, you never know how ready is the guy. And he came in and like, without hesitation, I thought he looked really good, quick and snappy. Uh, looked like he knew the playbook really well. Looked like he had chemistry. Um, so I, I would, I'm proud of the offense for overcoming, uh, and, and battling through adversity, especially with sacks and a fumble and all, all kinds of things like that. Uh, but defensively. I'm I, this is where it's it's like two weeks in a row and I thought the second half of the Purdue game we took a huge step forward and that carried over to four more quarters in this game um and playing to the whistle every time and and like even to the end of the game uh you know the the two pick sixes there at the very end of the game uh 100% effort throughout and I I think you could say that about every person on this team uh, gave 100% effort, and it felt like finally we were playing to what our standard is uh, and not not Wisconsin. So my my overall outlook on this game and my first impression is just proud. You said um, this, this is certainly maybe the first game where it felt like everything kind of came together. Um, I still think they have some work to do in the running game, but... I would I'd say that's kind of what it looked like the plan was though going in. Like the plan was not to run the ball. Um and I think you know when you look at um well, what am I trying to say here? When you when you look at what they what they did, just their their play calling um you know, it, it's understandable because you know that the strength of Wisconsin is that that front four, really that front seven. And so they they kind of took the ball 
out of Kyron Williams' hands early, uh, at least from a running and really overall. Now, he did end the game with 18 carries, but for only 33 yards. And I think that's exactly why you saw them come in with the game plan they did. And, you know, I don't know. It, it may be more, you know, kind of the emotion of the storyline. I don't know that it was like, let's put the ball in Jack Cohn's hands to like stick it to Wisconsin for passing on him. I'm sure for him, that was definitely some extra incentive, extra motivation. But I don't know that that was necessarily part of the game plan. It was just, this is where our opportunities are going to be. And they were a little bipolar early on in that game. Um, kind of like one, uh, you know, one series, three and out, another series, drive down the field, the next series, three and out, and the next series, drive down the field. Um, you know, but overall, you know, I would give them, I would give them an A minus. Now I know that sounds crazy because they won by 28 points. Um, but the only reason I say A minus is because they do still have to figure out some things on the offensive line. They did not run block well. They did not pass protect particularly well. Uh, I believe they gave up six sacks in that game. And the whole reason we saw the quarterback change is because you gave up um, a sack where your quarterback just got just mashed in a pile of linemen. And, you know, that's never a good thing. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, obviously we, we talked about in some ugly wins we've had that we'll always take a W. I will definitely take a W at a neutral site against a ranked opponent that was favored. Uh, you know, I mean, every everything about this was kind of the odds stacked against us. An interesting thing to know, Notre Dame is undefeated in the Shamrock series. Um, so maybe we should just make every game a Shamrock series and we just won't, or we'll just tell the team, like if they make it to the college football playoff, be like, yeah, they renamed it the Shamrock series this year. <laughs> um, and then maybe we can go out and, uh, and win a couple of those big games. But, um, and for what it's worth, I mean, we've played Navy like once in the, once or twice in the Shamrock series, I think army once, but we've, we've played like Arizona state, Miami, uh, like we've played some decent teams in the Shamrock series. So it's not the Shamrock series isn't, um, you know, like high school homecoming right. or senior night where you pick the worst team in your conference to come so that you can win by 30 points. Like it's, it's games that are usually against pretty decent teams and, and they're unbeaten in those. So, also, you know, and then obviously, um, a big win for coach Kelly, um, moving into first all time in total wins at Notre Dame. That's no small accomplishment. I mean, when you consider some of the people who have coached there, partic particularly Newt Rockney and Lou Holtz, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's a big accomplishment. And there were some seasons in there about five or six years into Brian Kelly's tenure where there was rumors of him being on the hot seat. There's been talk about him maybe going to the NFL, you know, and throughout all the noise and kind of all the criticism of, of him at the end of the day, he sits with the most wins and, you know, tip of the cap to him for that. Um, yeah. The other thing I'll add is they, they asked him about it before the game and in the press conference where they said, Hey, you know, 
if you win this, you know, you're currently tied with Newt Rogney and, you know, obviously he was going to pass the record at some point. They weren't going to lose every game the rest of the season. Um, and if they did, that would have been kind of interesting because he probably would have deserved to get fired and then he would have got fired and tied. But anyway, um, you know, so he was going to get it, but he said something very interesting when they asked him, you know, where do you think this puts you among like Notre Dame, the Notre Dame faithful and, and kind of the, the history of Notre Dame. And he said, as the coach who's won the most games for this program and never won a national championship. And I thought that was a really interesting answer because that just goes to show you that that is like at the forefront of his mind. Um, and I like that because obviously he's not downplaying the significance of the most wins in a program like Notre Dame. No. And when your name is being mentioned in the same sentence as Newt Rockney, you know, when you're talking about you play your home games in the house that Rockney built, um, that is, you know, that's prestige at its finest at one of the most prestigious college football programs in the history of college football. And yet he says like, you know, he accepts kind of the honor and, and recognizes that for what it is, but he knows like the culture that he wants is not to just be a guy that wins a lot of games. Like he wants to be a guy that wins championships and it's, the interesting thing for me, and then I'll throw it back to you, is doing that for him, like both his total number of wins and his lack of a of a championship, I, in my opinion, like his wins, like that's more impressive to me because there is so much more parity in college football now than there was when Newt Rockney, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from the the great coaches and great teams. And there were some all time historical great teams that played at Notre Dame. And I'm not trying to take that away from them, but there just wasn't the same, you know, with the way recruiting is now and now with NIL and all of these kind of things, like it is a much steeper hill to climb. And back then, like, you didn't even have, you certainly didn't have a playoff. You didn't have a BCS. You know, you had these bowl games, and then you had the AP announce their winner. Like, and sometimes you had split national champions. Um, and so, like, there's, you know, there's years where you have two different schools that would claim they were the national champion that year. And, and you know, essentially, they each have the same claim to it. And so I think, you know, coming into this era of, you know, just completely more dynamic and taking over a Notre Dame program that was struggling, and he's now had three undefeated regular seasons, two appearances in the college football playoff, an appearance in the BCS National Championship game. Um, you know, so he's brought this program, I don't want to say as far as it can go, because I'd like to think they can go a little bit further than that, but further than most other programs in the country. Uh, and so tip of the cap to him. This was a big win. And to do it the way they did, really just putting several exclamation points um, at the end of this game was was really a joy to watch. Yeah, I, I think, and I wanted to touch I on a little to bit about, about Coach Kelly and, and, and uh, 
how I perceive him passing Newt Rockney. Uh, but more importantly, like I think that you you had mentioned not taking away from anything that any of the previous coaches in Notre Dame history have done, because I think that most of them have done something pretty significant to make their their own mark on the, on the program. For um, sure, and they all kind of have their own place in history. I mean, we talk about Era Parsegian, and 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 you know even even Tyrone Willingham, at, you know at times it just felt like. He made his mark and and it carried over after Charlie Weiss took over because there was a lot of players on, on Charlie Weiss's first team that were carry over from Tyrone Willingham. And that, you know, that team was what, 10 and two and, and played in a big BCS bowl game. The, I think it was the Fiesta bowl. So they've all kind of had their own mark. Um, and I feel like I've gone through mood swings with, with Brian Kelly because there has been times of like just pure frustration and feeling like, you know why? Why? Why can't we get the edge? Like, what is it that is so different that we can't get that edge? And they put us in these games, and we've you know we don't we don't come close to Alabama. We haven't come close to Clemson except for one time. You know, one win. Um, and I and I it's it's so crazy to think about the modern era of college football. And I think that Lou Holtz could probably come a little bit closer to relating with Brian Kelly on like facing some truly just outstanding football teams, um, mm. but nothing like a dynasty, nothing like the dynasty that Alabama is right now. And, you know, I, I get that he's wanted a national championship and he came here to do that. And he's been in a, in, you know, in a title game once and in a playoff game twice and just come up a little bit short in each of those. But th- this is the most competitive college football has been across the board the the skill gap is closer and um there's been some really like just true outstanding dynasties that he's had to coach against and and scheme against and um and i i agree i think his 105 wins at notre dame tipped the scale to the rest of his wins in his career and and he's had a pretty good career i mean an undefeated season at cincinnati and coached really well at at, at the max schools um so I hope that he's still, I know that he's accepted that he's now past New Rockney, but I hope that he really thinks about it being a true accomplishment that that does hold value even without without the national championship because Notre Dame academically is tougher and it's not in a great place to recruit. It's cold, it's isolated, it's in the middle of Big Ten country, and there's been some truly powerhouse Big Ten teams and uh, he's done some great things. Like, and, and I don't, and I don't know if you've paid a whole lot of attention to our recruiting class moving forward, but we don't have a lot of five-star athletes coming to play for Notre Dame anymore. We get some really good, you know, three stars and some really solid four stars, and we may sneak a five-star one or two here and there, maybe steal one late or get a transfer. But uh, overall, I, I just think that recruiting, and and as he spoke, and as he said also in that interview, was just consistency. And I think for the most part, you could say he's been pretty consistent and um, he's, he's had to deal with a lot, the media and, and pushback from the fans, even up to like a couple of weeks ago, people calling for him to be fired after wins. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, after so the Toledo game, a lot of people saying he should be fired. Yeah. And it's so funny because the same fan base that's screaming fire the guy it's like, you know, when we, when we fired Tyron Willingham, we fired Charlie Weiss, they're like, oh, just we're just, you know, cycling through coaches. 
Okay, so now you've got one that we've had now for what this is his twelfth season, and you're calling for him to be fired after a you know a win against a really good MAC football team, and they they're showing that now they're they're going through their MAC conference games now and they're winning those. So I, I just you know there's been again I feel like mood swings. I've gone through mood swings. I think a lot of the fan base has gone through mood swings, um, but I would say right now. Like you had mentioned, Kelly has gotten us to this point where we're knocking on that door of getting into that next level. I think we're closer than we've ever been in in this era of college football, and uh, I really think that he can get us. I'd like to think he can get us a national championship um, at some point. I don't know how much longer. I don't know how much longer he wants to. You know how long? You know, I think he's got the passion and the fire to continue to do so, and I don't think he would want to go coach anywhere else in the country. Um, you mentioned the recruiting and, you know, Alabama, you know, this season, for example, um, 27 commits, uh, I, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about, um, the recruiting class for this year. They already have seven, five star, 16, four star Ohio state, seven, five star, 13, four star. Um, you know, then you go down the list, LSU, two, five star. Georgia, four, five-star. Clemson, three. So, I mean, like, Alabama has more than LSU and Georgia combined of five-star recruits. Yep. Um, you look at Ohio State with seven. And, I mean, Michigan has one. Wisconsin has one. Maryland has one. Um, you know, Penn State doesn't have any. Iowa doesn't have any. Uh, and so you like you look across the landscape and it's like we shouldn't be that surprised that Alabama is there all the time, that Ohio State is, you know, basically there all the time and has kind of had their run of uh, of the Big Ten for a long time because when that's your recruiting. But I think what Notre Dame fans have to do, and I think even Notre Dame critics, in in fairness, need to do the same thing. And that is, like, zoom out a little bit. Especially fans, like, it's so easy to get zoomed all the way into your program and your schedule and what you're doing, you know, year in and year out. But you have to zoom out a little bit. Because if you zoom all the way in, you can cherry pick data however you want. And we've talked about this. I've brought this up a lot of times with statistics. You can... You can use statistics to show whatever you want to show. And so, yes, you can look at like Notre Dame's record in BCS games and college football playoff games. You know, their one um, conference championship game. And you can look at those zoomed in on those individual games and it does start to stack up and look really ugly but it's like you got to zoom out a little bit number one okay the only way that you can lose a lot of these games is to play them right like it's like yeah michigan hasn't been losing college football playoff games because they haven't been in them you know notre dame's in a conference for one year and they're and they're in the conference championship um you know you look at some of these other Oklahoma has not 
you know, they're all in one in college football playoff games. Um, yeah. Oregon isn't losing college football playoff games. Uh, and, and as you look at these other schools, um, you know, yeah, you, you can't lose games you're not in. You know, I think of the little gif of, of the guy kind of pointing to his temple like, ah, you know. <laughs> and it's like, can't lose a game if you don't play in it. And, like, I, I remember a guy used to come in my store when I worked at Verizon. And he always talked about John Elway. And he's like, he's like, man, John Elway is, uh, or like the Broncos are, they're five-time losers. They're five-time Super Bowl losers. And I was like, yeah, and they've won it three times, which means eight times they've been the best team in the AFC and represented their conference in the Super Bowl, a game which only one team can win. And so it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't lose games if you don't, if you don't get there. And so you got to zoom out a little bit with Notre Dame and say, you know, they're getting there on a fairly consistent basis, and they're in that conversation. And even when they're not making it to the college football playoff they're usually right on the outside looking in. And so that's what he's done over the amount of time that he's been there. As you look at his record and it's like 10 win season after 10 win season after 10 win season. And sometimes that's 10, 11, 12, you know, whatever, but it's, there's been a pattern of consistency there with less talent. And you would kind of think that, um, you know, being that consistent, you might get some of those more talented players. You might get those five-star recruits, and they just aren't. Uh, and yet, they're still going year in and year out, winning ten games. Um, you know, so you gotta. And I, I think the critics have to kind of look at that too and say, like, oh, yep, Notre Dame, they're gonna. There's this idea, like, we need to can this notion that Notre Dame is getting things that they don't deserve because of who they are like has that been the case in the past sure but that's you can't tell me that they're the only team in the country that ever gets rankings they don't deserve or ever gets like different things that they you know quote unquote don't deserve i mean look at look at clemson um in fact let's look at clemson right now so new rankings come out today this team is still in the top 25 at two and two with one dominating win over an FCS school and a scrape by win over Georgia tech. And then a game in which they don't score a touchdown against Georgia and a game in which they lost to a team um, who hadn't beaten a top 10 opponent in 50 years or something. And, and against an unranked opponent for the first time in 37 tries. So yeah, like, Teams, there's a reason Alabama comes in ranked number one every year, even if they don't win the national championship. And it's because your reputation does, you know, get you a certain amount of credibility. I mean, Ohio State hasn't looked particularly good and they're sitting at 11th. Um, So you can say kind of whatever you want about Notre Dame, but they haven't been given things they didn't earn. And I don't even care if you want to talk about last year's college football playoff. Like, they were every bit as deserving as Texas A&M because yeah, like they got beat badly because things sort of unraveled in a very short amount of time in that Clemson game to where the final score looked worse than really the game was. But 
the critics of Notre Dame have got to realize the reason that, yeah, they've struggled is because they aren't into that upper echelon yet. And it's like no one is. Like outside of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, those are the only three teams that have been beating each other in there. And so, uh, you know, Oklahoma hasn't. LSU did that one year, and they're barely beating anybody anymore. Um, you know, no Pac-12 school is. Uh, no Big 12 school is. So who else is? Florida hasn't. Um, so, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to spend forever on this, but I, I feel like he's done a tremendous job with the talent level he's had and with the schedule that they play. And it was brought up in the broadcast uh, against Wisconsin how this year it's, you know, six six of their games, so half of their games are against teams coming off of a bye. Two years ago, seven of their games are against teams coming off of a bye. So, like, not only are they playing decent teams, these teams are coming in off a week of rest. Yeah. Um, yep. And so I, I just think, like, I'm not saying none of the criticism is warranted, you know, and we've all as fans felt, oh, man, why can't we just get over that hump? And it's just one of those things where we need something to go our way. You know, we need that luck of the Irish in those games, you know, the tip passes or the the snap over the quarterback's head or, you know, just whatever those fluky things are, they've been happening to us and not for us in games where we didn't have margin for error. Um, and hopefully that that, you know, hopefully that's something that can change, but let's talk more about the actual game here. So I already brought up first, um, you know, well, I mean, you've been talking all year about the offensive line and, um, and again, we came into this game kind of waving the white flag on running the football from the opening gun. I mean, I think at halftime, Kyron Williams had like six carries, um, and to have a back that talented, the thing that was frustrating for me was He's a guy that's so good in open space, but the only time you're giving him any open space is on punts, uh, you know, and can he be electric there? Can you run a punt back? Sure. I mean, they ran a kickback. It wasn't him, but um, it, it can happen. But like, how are we not either getting him involved in the passing game? Like they did split him out a couple of times. A wide receiver never threw it to him. But like, how can you not run this guy like a bubble screen, a normal screen, like some kind of an option play, like something that's a jet sweep, uh, you know, give him the ball in a wildcat type thing. Like, I don't know, but it just seems like such a waste to have this dude back there and just running between the tackles. Like, you know, it's like the dude that's learning how to play Madden and he just keeps calling the same halfback dive play over and over again and doesn't understand when the defense, you know, throws a 5-2 in there why he can't run it. And so that to me was maybe the most frustrating thing was like this team has to figure out how to get that guy involved in the game. Um, I just think it's unexcusable to let that much talent. And I think part of it is on Tommy Reese, but certainly the head coach has got to be able to look at his own roster and say, how do we get this guy touches coming off the season he had you know, we're just, you're absolutely wasting him right now. Yeah, and I think, I think we did see it open see up it a little bit in a, in a couple of spots where we, we had figured out where we could target um, our wide receivers, which was out on the outside, uh, and get them out in space. And I think we exposed 
their their corners and safeties pretty quickly. You know, er, early on in the game, I think that was the focus point for Tommy Reese. And by the way, I don't I don't necessarily think that Tommy Reese called a bad offensive uh, offensive game plan. Um, I thought. Well, he, I think they called what they planned to do. hundred percent. I just like to see him get a little bit more creative. No, yeah, and I agree with that. Um, but when when you're committed to running up the middle, which is what they've they've been committed to, no matter how little or all how often they're doing it, that's the plan. Um, you saw it work a couple of times, like a, you had a, fl- a couple of flashes of it after we had really like bruised them in the passing game and there was like one one drive i think we only came up with three points off of it but that one drive early on in the game i think was towards the end of this first quarter we had we had went up and down the field and we we were you know targeting those safeties and cornerbacks and then suddenly the run game opened up a little bit and we've talked about that how successful passing game or you know how it opens up the run and vice versa i mean they they really do go hand in hand um but i agree i i really want to see him make guys miss that's what he's good at he's the most dynamic player on our team as far as his ability to make people miss and bust out huge runs and his quickness his agility everything about him i honestly think that he's one of the more athletic people on the field every time you you know every time they go on the field um so yeah i I don't know what it is about kyron williams this year it's been a big head scratcher for me because i pointed out early on i thought that he would be um, he would be the dark horse as far as could he even put his name up there with, with those going for the Heisman. Um, and I think that, you know, he showed that last year and this year it's just, I don't know, it's just not working the same way. And, and you've, t- you've talked about what, you know, what you think it might be um, as far as how it relates to Jack Cohn. And I, I see some of that. I'm not saying that I don't see any of that at all. I just think that where we're at with our offensive line it's not working there and they're not getting him in space. And for whatever reason, I, I don't, I don't understand why I would love to see some screenplays, jet sweeps, like things where he can just get momentum and make people miss because it's not, it's not his downhill speed. It's, it's because there's no holes opening up. He's not going to get through the tackles. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see him be able to like get momentum, build up speed and then go make a play, make people miss and, and, allow that to open up the run game so you can take some pressure off the quarterback because I think that, again, you said the reason why we had to make a quarterback change was because he got rolled up on. Um, and you've talk, we, I've talked about how many times he's been sacked this year, and eventually that's going to catch up to you. Like it, it just it, This happens when you've got a quarterback that's getting sacked that many times, getting knocked down on, on you know so many passes. Um it's, it's going to happen, and you, if you can open up the run game a little bit, I think, if we could just get him to, to come close to 100 yards, 80 yards even at this point would be better than what we've had. I think it would leave so much pressure off of the quarterback position for us this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, some of it, in fairness, like we, we did have a, uh, we are running out our third string left tackle, so that obviously doesn't help. Um, and and it's the quarterback's blind side, which obviously doesn't help either. Um, but I mean, what's what's interesting is to to me, um, you know, Notre Dame Jack Cohn threw the ball twenty nine times and didn't play after the 
basically nine minute mark of the third. Yeah. So Milan played, you know, a few a few minutes in the third quarter. Didn't play obviously the rest of the game, um, and so you're. I mean, you're talking about a dude that was on pace to throw the ball fifty plus times, and you know, to his credit, he did have a ton of. Um, you know, he did have a ton of pressure from that defensive line of Wisconsin. And I, I don't know. The play calling at times was just frustrating to me because on the one hand, if you could buy him enough time to try to get the ball down the field, like that's where the opportunities were. Um, but on the other hand, like if you're not going to give him protection, then you got to give him some more underneath options. It seemed like a couple times, you know, like I said, it was sacked six times. There was probably two that, in my opinion, he held the ball too long. Um, There's one or two that were that were good, just covered sacks. That it's like the offensive line at some point, you know, you're not gonna. There's nowhere for him to go with the ball, and there were a couple times he took off and ran, and I about jumped out of my chair, um, you know, and I I had not realized he was a lacrosse player, which makes me really wonder if like the broken foot that he suffered at Wisconsin, if that really is either whether it's a mental thing or whether it really is just a physical thing of where taking off and running is just not something he wants to do. I don't know how he got hurt at Wisconsin. Cause obviously I've never really followed the Badgers. So maybe he got hurt on a play like that. Like, I don't know, but, um, it was, it was nice to see him make a couple of those plays, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I'd have liked to see some some bubble screens or some slants or just like something that gets the ball out of his hands faster. Um because it's like if you're not going to protect him, then you got to get him like you can't be running plays 30 yards down the field where it just takes time for the receivers to get there. So I I don't know. Um I don't want to be too hard on him because I feel I really do feel bad for him for getting hurt and getting hurt in that game especially at, where you're trying to come back and I will say this. So Jack Cohn if you're listening, I've I've been critical of you in our podcast. I'm sure you're just um you know a regular listener of the that's debatable podcast. <laughs> um but if you're listening or if someone knows him that listens to this, like I've been critical of him but I'll say this. He proved more in the short amount of time that he was in that game. I mean, you know, two and a half, not even quite two and a half quarters. Like, he proved enough to show that he is the better quarterback over Graham Mertz and that Wisconsin um, shot themselves in the foot by deciding to go that direction and letting him go. Um, I think that was made evident with the four interceptions and the fumble. Um, So, Jack... I hope you get better. I just don't know exactly what your injury was or the the uh, extent of it or how bad it was, but I hope you get better. And you definitely outplayed your uh, nemesis slash friend, you know, which obviously makes it kind of tough as well. But um, but I did think he he played well, and I would have liked to seen them, you know, give him some more opportunities. Um, that said. It was interesting to see Drew Pine come in that game because I my first thought was, okay, you know, you and I have had this conversation of can Buckner throw the ball? 
And so I didn't realize he was not available. I don't know if you did. I didn't know he was not available yesterday. I don't think the broadcast knew because right before kickoff, they had mentioned that we could see him in a couple of packages today. So I don't yeah. know when that information came out. I had no idea about that. Yeah, they said it was a hamstring. And, you know, obviously the way that they use him or have used him, at least to this point, a hamstring is going to be pretty debilitating for trying to, you know, run RPOs and quarterback draws and all that kind of stuff. So whatever reason, his hamstring was bad enough that he was unavailable. So you see Drew Pine come out. And what's interesting with him is that here's a kid who came into this season hoping to be a starter, and he ends up third on the depth chart. And so like with our conversations we've had of like, okay, if Buckner can't really throw and and Jack Cohn can't really run. Like, what can our third quarter, like, what can our third string quarterback do? Um, what I thought was interesting is he did both. Um, one of his first plays, uh, he showed some escapability, like, got outside the pocket and threw across his body, hit a strike for about, you know, six, seven yards, I think. Um, and, and kind of showed some good pocket presence. I thought he showed, again, some escapability and some other, um, some other place that he, he was in. And I, I thought the thing that stood out to me, and I had some other people kind of texting me and, and noticing this, is he gets rid of the football faster than either of the two quarterbacks ahead of him. Um, he has got a quick release uh, throwing the football. And I, I think that that's going to be interesting moving forward because that's kind of what you need, right? Like that's what we just talked about is like, can you get the ball out of your hands quickly? Um, and so he showed some athleticism. I thought he showed good control of the offense. If I'm Notre Dame this week, I don't know how healthy Jack Cohn is personally. I'm not saying as Notre Dame, hopefully they know how healthy he is. But if, if I'm Notre Dame, I'm making sure that that, that that dude is running 40 to 50% of the plays with the first team offense, because for one, I need to, if I do want Jack Cohn to play, I need him healthy and I, I need to make sure he can get rested and fully rehabbed and recovered. And second, if he isn't going to be healthy or if, if I, again, I don't know the nature of the injury, but if it's something that he could re-injure or something, then I got to make sure that dude's ready to go against Cincinnati because you've got a big game coming up at home um, that could really propel you forward towards the college football playoff. Um you know, they don't have an easy schedule by any stretch, but, you know, this one in Wisconsin was a big one. This is probably the the biggest game left on their schedule, I would argue, is next week. Um, they don't currently have another ranked opponent left on their schedule, and this is going to be a top 10 opponent. So this is a big one and a top 10 opponent who's rested. So let me ask you this. Um do you think, based on what you saw from Drew Pine, do you think there is any kind of quarterback controversy going into the Cincinnati game? Well, I think you almost have to give him his respect, right? I mean, first of all, he, he came in and, like I said, he ran the off offense and looked like he knew the playbook well. And he looked like he had decent chemistry. Um, for a guy who hasn't taken many reps with the first team offense, that was even spoken uh, spoken about in Brian Kelly's post game uh, interview, 
was that this is this is really his first real shot. They had nothing. They had no idea. I don't think what he was going to come out and do. Um, but he came out, and I think he really caught a lot of people's attention. And I think you have to give him his respect. Um, I don't. I wouldn't say. Man, I, this is this is really tough because I really don't think they have a lot of faith in in Buckner throwing the ball because we haven't seen it and that's on purpose. Um I just don't think he's he's ready for that yet. I don't I don't know if I would when I when when Cone went out and I thought they were going to be bringing Buckner in, I was worried about our game plan game plan moving forward when we were going to be such a pass heavy game plan. Um yeah. I didn't I just didn't have the confidence that that was what he could carry out. Um and we know that Drew Pine can. I think he's got a big arm and like you had mentioned it's it's snappy. He gets it out quick, and we don't have a very good offensive line, so that's important. Um, so, what? Yeah, this is this is tough. This is really tough because I think you've got three quarterbacks right now that you could argue all equally have the right to start the game. Yeah, it it was interesting to me to listen to the broadcast because it was Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on Fox, and Joel Klatt's a former you know, University of Colorado quarterback himself. And so I tend to find in broadcasts that former players stick up for their position, whether it's um, touting why their position's important or, you know, if it's a if it's a defensive guy on a questionable call, they typically be like, ah, the ref needs to let him play. If it's an offensive player, it's like, ah, it's clearly pass interference, you know, or, or whatever it is. Yep. Um and Conclat's thing, and I, I love him. Like I, he is, in my opinion, one of the best uh, analysts, broadcasters. Uh, I love following him on Twitter. He's just got a lot of good thoughts. But, um, I, I thought it was interesting. He, he basically said, "This is not Wisconsin 2.0 for Jack Cohn. Like, if he's good to go, he's got to be your guy." Because to your point before, he's technically four no as a starter because he's still was the starter here that played the majority of the game, took the majority of the snaps, made the majority of the throws. Um, and what were they leading when he was in the game or were they still tied? That's what I can't remember, but um, I can't trying to think. Either. I think tied, it was though. maybe still 10. I think it was maybe still 10. Yeah. It would have still been 10, 10 because the he fumble. went out. Yeah. The fumble tied it up. So, right? Wisconsin tied it at 10-10, 9-53, and at the nine-minute mark, so basically on that next drive is when he went out. Um, so he left the game tied. So if it was baseball, he'd get a no decision, but we'll give him the win. Um, and, you know, it was after it was after that sack and, and everything that he, um, that Wisconsin took a 13-10 lead never to see the lead or sniff points again in that game. Um, so I, I would say, which this is going to be so ironic because, like, you know, you're kind of conflicted over it. You're, look, your job as a backup quarterback is next man up. And so I think you have to prepare him to be able to either start or step in. But I think if your guy is healthy, um, you got to let him start at least. Yeah. Now, I don't, I you don't can decide how... Yeah, you know, you can decide how long of a leash you want to get him, especially in a big game like Cincinnati. If he's struggling, if you feel like he's struggling at all from the injury, 
you can kind of like, I don't want to say be underhanded, but you can kind of say, hey, you know, it looks like you're kind of hampered. We're going to roll with this guy. I think the, another thought that crossed my mind is, could you say, Jack, like, you're not 100% and we would like to get you some rest and we feel like we might be able to win this game and rest you moving forward. We saw them do this actually with Wimbush. You saw them do this where they plugged him in 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 a game. I think after uh, Ian Book got kind of banged up against Northwestern and the following week, I don't remember who they played, but the following week he sat out and Wimbush came in and they got the win. And it was kind of like, could Ian Book have played in that game? Like, yeah, if it was going to be like a tough opponent, then he probably would have played, but it was some cupcake that they were playing. And so it's like, well, we're just going to let Brandon Wimbush, he's capable of doing this. And so I wonder if you do something maybe like that, but you tell him, hey, like, be ready to go because if this kid struggles, we might need you at 80% because you at 80% might be better than Drew Pine at 100. I, I would know, rather or, see it the other way, I think. Um, I agree. Because because of his mentality. And I think he's got a. I, I feel like he could be on a teetering point where he's going to be plagued by this injury if he feels like this is going to be an issue moving forward um, yeah. or if he feels threatened to lose his starting job again over an injury um, because it honestly does feel like that's what happened in Wisconsin. Like the injury, they just didn't think he was going to come back and be good enough. Um, and so I feel like if I, if I'm the coach and, and Jack Cohn's 80 to 85% healthy for this game, I would rather start him and let him lose that than to start somebody else and then tell him we can, we'll bring you in uh, to cover up his mess because he's been given the starting quarterback position um, and Kelly has stuck by that. Um, so I would rather see it go the other way, but I think you have to, con- would you, would you make the consideration of placing Drew Pine as your number two? For that last, after that last game, because I haven't seen enough from Buckner. Unless, unless we're just not, the hard thing for me with Buckner is can he throw or not? Yeah. You know, like we know he can run, but do we really know that he cannot throw or is it like, he's not as good of a thrower of the football. So if we want somebody to just be back there and throw passes, we'll go with Jack Cone. Like that's where I'm kind of curious. And that's where in that regard, it would have maybe been nice to see because, I mean, he was one of the top recruited quarterbacks in the nation. Yep. And so it's hard for me to think that he was that if he can't throw. Like, that just doesn't make sense. Right. And so, I, but I think, you know, based on what you have seen, I, I would move Drew Pine up to QB2. And, you know, I, I don't know all the rules, but. I don't know. He's not played a ton of snaps. Can you redshirt a guy that late? Like, can you redshirt um, Buckner? Buckner. Buckner. And I, I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't know the answer to that question. You know, you're four games in. I don't know what the rules are. He's played, but not much. Didn't play any at Florida State. I don't think. Um, didn't play any. I'm so he's only played in two games. I, I, I can't claim to be an expert on the rules. If we have a listener that can. Drop us a comment and let us know. Um, 
I'd love to know more clearly, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I just hope that they can put something together that's ready to go against Cincinnati. I would like to see both these guys be ready um, because you just don't know what is going to happen. But I do think if you see the offense sputtering or him struggling, instead of bringing in Buckner to do RPOs, I think Drew Pine shows you that you can bring in a guy who can certainly do either um, and maybe keep Cincinnati off balance. I don't like the two-quarterback thing. I don't like the idea of going in and we're just going to run both of them. You already know how I feel about that. But How do you feel about uh, three? Maybe we use all three. <laughs> no, no. The further you get away from one, uh, the more you're you're looking for a disaster. It, like Running back by committee is one thing. Quarterback by committee, like get out of here with that garbage. Um, all right, I have just a couple more things to cover on this game, and these these episodes are always a little longer for us. But one thing that was disappointing, and this is probably my last disappointment thing. Eh, one and I have one and a half disappointments. Oh. <laughs> now, some of it, I I will, will retract my statement a little bit when they panned the camera around, and maybe it just was more visually appealing for Fox to always show the Wisconsin fans. But man, that did not feel like a split game. That felt like a Wisconsin Badgers home football game. And, you know, again, when they panned it a little more, I saw a little bit more of the Notre Dame people. And I think there are a couple of reasons for this. And both are irritating. Number one, Notre Dame fans, come on. They they sold an equal number of tickets to this. They didn't sell 80% of the stadium or 60% of the stadium or 70% of the stadium to Wisconsin and and throw crumbs to Notre Dame like if we were actually playing an away game. These were 50-50 ticket sales. And you came in in what to this point in the season was your biggest game of the year. And it was big for your coach. It was big for your quarterback. It was big for your team, you know, that has kind of stumbled out of the gate and was seeming to get some of their footing. And yeah, hats off to you for being all raucous at the end of the game when we were up 28 points. But come on, like that was super disappointing to look up in the stands and then they're playing jump around like they're playing the, you know, the Wisconsin. We, my understanding was this was our quote unquote home game and they're playing the Wisconsin song going into the fourth quarter. Uh, I shut that mess down quick with that touchdown um, with the kick return. But man, it just, that's one thing I was disappointed in was Notre Dame fans not showing up. I think another part of that is we just don't have particularly dominant colors. Like we have Navy, you know, so it's like, if you're going to have a blue out, then you kind of just look like a blot. Like it doesn't, it doesn't stand out. You know, Michigan has the maze. Iowa has yellow and black. Um, you know, Iowa State's got red. Wisconsin has red. Um, you know, some of these schools with like a light blue or an orange or just something that pops. We don't have colors that pop. And what's worse is, and I've mentioned this before, but Notre Dame, for the love of colors, pick one green. 
and make it Kelly Green. Like, can we just decide on that? Can we stop making forest green and, you know, normal green and this nasty, like, pastel pea green and neon green? Like, stop it with that. Kelly Green, the bright popping green. That's the only one that's going to pop in a stadium. Because the other thing you saw from Notre Dame fans was kind of this smattering of different colors. And we looked like a like we were wearing camo up like we didn't want to be seen in the stands. And it's just like, man, you look at how many schools do things well in this way. Now, I understand not having like a whiteout because then the stadium is red and white and it feels like a Wisconsin game still. But like this is a game and really even your home games like get it together. Like the shirt needs to be Kelly green every year moving forward, change up the design, change up the slogan, do whatever you want. Kelly green. That's what people need to wear. You need to tell the fans, Kelly green, sell Kelly green hoodies, sell Kelly green t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, jackets, pick a color and stick with it. If you want to do the blue tops and the gold pants, I'm fine with that. It's traditional. The gold helmets like that's cool, whatever. But for everyone else, pick one color and stick with it because it's embarrassing to have a restorative program as this to just get shown up at home and on these, you know, quote unquote neutral site games. It's like Notre Dame cannot be playing 12 road games a year. Like you got to be better than that. Like that was super disappointing to me. The the only other stadium that saw that much red in it in Chicago was Wrigley Field, and that's because the Cardinals were dominating. I had Stop to throw that in there. Oh uh, no! See, that's this is this is this goes back to our our argument a little bit of um, the big drum and why I feel like we need to like just not allow other traditions. For instance, as you mentioned playing jump around going into the fourth quarter excuse me and i was under the impression that that was our home game too but nothing about it felt like it you got a a fox kickoff our shamrock series games have all been played on nbc all of them um you got the 11 o'clock kickoff on fox you had them playing jump around you had more wisconsin fans there like i just don't understand why we have to go through this with our fans. Like, this is why I said, I don't want our place to be the place that everybody comes and marvels at. Like, Oh, it's so great to be here. And then we sell all of our tickets to their fans so they can go to the game at our stadium. Like, again, I don't want to be the friendly confines of college football. It just is not entertaining to me. I hate watching our home games when we're outsold and especially the Georgia game, not to mention that that Georgia game in South Bend was the first year of all the stadium renovations and the jumbotron things that our fans have been asking and begging for for years to mm-hmm. enhance the game day experience and make it feel more like up to up to the times and make give giving you know, all those extra things that can happen. And then, you know, we, we, we've had our, our, our band mic'd so that way they're louder and it's imposing in, in on the other team. Like, that's what I want it to be every single week. And, and that Georgia game, 
was even more embarrassing that it was actually in South Bend. And I think it was more like 80, 20, to be honest. Like that was, just, was bad. yeah, that, that was, was bad. so bad. Um, this one, I definitely think it was more like 60, 40. I would say it's closer to like three quarters Wisconsin than it was, would have been like half and half. Um, yeah. which is just, it's just embarrassing. I'm, and I'm really so tired of it. Like the state of the fan base is worse than the state of the football team. Now, what's interesting is, um, the only thing I disagree with on the traditions with the drum, and I, I don't want to totally rehash that whole thing, but I, I'm fine with both teams having traditions. I think that adds to college football. But I again, I think you make your place imposing by your things primarily and by your fans. Um, so my point with the drum was like, don't let them bang it. Like, keep them out of the end zone. Keep them off the scoreboard. You know, keep them out of the game by imposing your will on the field and by rallying around it. Goodness gracious. I mean, rally sons of Notre Dame is the first line of the fight song. Like shake down the thunder. It's meaningless with, with what is going on here. And so I am curious for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I do think that this was actually, um, technically wisconsin's home game and the lambo game for whatever dumb reason was supposed to be ours um and so it doesn't really make sense i mean it's so confusing you're calling a wisconsin home game a shamrock series game i just don't get it it makes no sense to me yeah i i don't know yeah the sham i see what you're saying there yeah i don't know i don't understand that whole thing um maybe it was supposed to be i i i don't know maybe they just dubbed it that for the the jerseys or um or whatever but that was that was certainly disappointing um and i would have liked to see them get a little more creative with the jerseys i've enjoyed the shamrock series jerseys it's once a year at most that you're doing it and i get that there was some significance to the stripes was like the colorado or the colorado the chicago river and, you know, they had the stars on the helmet that's supposed to be like the Chicago flag. And, you know, they had some different things. I did think it was cool that it said graduating. What did it say? Graduating stars or something? Or is graduating something was on um, on the back of their collar uh, stitched in gold, which I thought was kind of cool because Notre Dame does actually graduate their players uh, and not just babysit them for a couple of years. but. Uh, Anyway, um, I don't know. I don't. The, the last thing for me, um, that was my, I think that was my one and a half things. If not, I don't remember what the other one was. But the last big thing that I enjoyed is it feels like they are finally understanding what Marcus Freeman's trying to do. I, I think the biggest reason that maybe and maybe i'm making excuses but that the defense struggled the first couple weeks was implementing a new system and it feels like they're getting it and now you've seen turnovers forced particularly in the secondary um you know you're seeing this they called it a chaotic style it's intentionally chaotic and coming at you from different angles um bringing different packages you're you're showing blitzes and pulling off. You're bringing delayed blitzes. You're all over the field. You're doing a lot of things to try to confuse the quarterback. And it's finally starting to gel. And, you know, now you've seen, what, eight or nine 
turnovers in the last two weeks. Um, so I'm hoping that that continues. Um, other than that, I picked this one. I picked another. I picked Notre Dame to win. Wisconsin winning and not covering. Um, Thirty-one unanswered points. Um, just phenomenal. I mean, to flip the switch the way they did, because again, you're talking about in that game, it was, um, it was ten to three at halftime, and you felt kind of good about that. You had another weird missed field goal from Jonathan Dora. I'm not saying you can't ever miss, but it seems like he's badly missing ones that you would just be already putting the three up on the scoreboard. Um, nothing really happens in the third quarter. You give up a touchdown um, and it's 10, 10 and you're going to the fourth quarter tied. And it's like, okay, like we knew this was going to be a dog fight. And I, I wasn't, I was a little discouraged that we hadn't done anything in the third, but you lost your quarterback right after they tied it. You know, you're bringing in your third string quarterback, no less you have your third string left tackle, your third string quarterback, um in a hostile road feeling environment and then you give up the lead so you know a minute not even a minute into the fourth quarter you give up the lead and now all of a sudden it's like oh man what what's going to happen like how will this team respond to um trailing for only the second time in the game and after just feeling like they had pump the brakes on this offense. Now you've given up 10 unanswered. You're trailing. You don't have your leader at quarterback. What's going to happen? Boom. The very next play, 96-yard touchdown, and Wisconsin never saw the lead again. And then you have Drew Pine gets a touchdown pass in there. Door hits a field goal that he should be able to. And then you have two pick sixes. I mean, it just, just piling. I mean, I was sitting there laughing at the end of the game. It was just amazing to see. Um, and to see them, it, what was interesting to me is we talked a lot about like they don't put their foot on the neck of these cupcake opponents. Man, they did it against Wisconsin though, and that was just uh, really a tremendous thing to see. And so I, I'll be interested to see what they do against Cincinnati. I think the quarterback thing is obviously going to be a big question mark. Um, Cincinnati, I believe, moved up a spot in the rankings despite the week off, just because of some other teams, but. Um, if they can win this one, you know, that that was a statement win that made people think, okay, like maybe this team is for real. And if they come out and beat Cincinnati, and I, you know, I was looking at Cincinnati, and they're a two and a half point favorite as of right now, certainly subject to change over the next five, six days. But they haven't really beaten anyone. Um, now, they, I mean, they beat the pants off of teams, but 42 to seven against Murray State at home. 49 to 14 against Miami of Ohio at home. And then 38 to 24 at Indiana. Uh Indiana's now one and two. Um, or did they play again? Yeah, they're one and two. And they really didn't pull like that 14 points there is even a little bit deceptive because that was pulled away right at the very end of that game. Um and so I'm not I'm not trying to undersell them. Like I think they are gonna come and be be ready to play. But uh, we've played tougher opponents to this point and are unbeaten. Uh, not tougher opponents than Cincinnati. Don't misunderstand. But we've played tougher opponents than Cincinnati has played. And we've walked with wins and all of those. So I like our chances. We are at home for the love of college football, Notre Dame fans. Please, 
show up for this game. This is probably the last huge home game of the season. So, like, if you want to sit out the Navy game, go for it. Like, if you want to sit out um, North Carolina, go for it. You want to sit out Georgia Tech, sit out Georgia Tech. But, like, show out for this game. That's kind of my final thoughts going into this one. I'll throw it back to you to uh, to close it out on this this segment. Yeah, so you had mentioned about finding the fit with the defensive scheme, and I I actually agree with you 100%. Um, had Notre Dame played in the ACC this year and been considered a Power 5 program, they would rank second amongst Power 5 teams in takeaways per game with 2.8 and are currently tied with Georgia in sacks per game with 3.5 per game, which I find to be pretty impressive um, because Georgia's notable win and you know most notable win is a five and uh, two and two Clemson program that's knocking on the door of leaving the top 25. Um, yep. And and I think that we have played some pretty solid opponents now. Granted, you know Florida State's 0 and 4, which I don't think nobody in college football would have predicted that. But that doesn't mean yeah. they don't play you tough, right? And like we've talked about this, not only do you know the next five weeks or four weeks do we have teams coming off a bye, but they throw their entire book at us. Like we are the biggest game for all of these teams. It just is what it is. Um, so for for those stats defensively, when you talk about struggling in two games and then the next two, you look totally different and pretty pretty solid. I definitely think it's just starting to click but i will say like there's been a little bit of difference because i felt like in the first two games where we struggled defensively we weren't really getting after the quarterback the way we have mm-hmm. against purdue and now against you know wisconsin i feel like we really put a lot of pressure on the quarterback make them uncomfortable i don't think Mertz ever felt comfortable in this game at all i mean he was stumbling over his own feet and dropping the ball and you know very uncomfortable and I, I think that I would, you know, that's my biggest takeaway moving forward. And I guess my question to you is, do you think that final win where we're just scraping it out against Toledo was the turning point in the season for this team? Do you think that moving forward, the the Notre Dame against Purdue and the Notre Dame against Wisconsin is what you would expect to see for the rest of the season? I, I sure hope so. And, we, you know, we've talked about this with some of these teams that – when you eke out the win against the quote-unquote cupcake school, and I'd put Toledo in there, no offense to them. I get it that they're a decent MAC team, but that's a team that I think we were favored by 17 or something. And you got to eke it out on the last drive. Sometimes those wins are what propel you forward to say, okay, we're not letting that happen again. And we escaped this. We're not putting ourselves in that position again, especially against a team that we're heavily favored. And so what I'm hoping is that that was the wake-up call of like, look, we're not going to walk into our stadium or anyone else's and just skip through a field of daisies and go home and beat the snot out of somebody. We're going to have to fight and scratch and claw and work for every yard that we gain, for every yard that we stop, for every pass we deflect, for every time we sack the quarterback, for every tackle that we make, for every tackle that we break. Like everything is fought with all of who you have. And the level of intensity ratcheted up the last two weeks. And 
I don't think we're going to like Wisconsin just really fell apart. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see that level of just meltdown from anybody, honestly. Um, but as you look through the remainder of the schedule, Notre Dame has to do two things. I think number one, you, you, I mean, you can't lose obviously, but you got to beat Cincinnati. If you beat Cincinnati, you're through the hardest part of your schedule. North Carolina's not been that good. Virginia Tech's not been that good. Like every game from here on out is winnable. This is your toughest challenge, at least on paper. Maybe we'll come up and match really well against them. That'd be that'd be nice. I'd love to get a double digit win in this one. If you do, I think you've got to be having Notre Dame sitting no lower than five or six. I mean, goodness. Um, with with the resume that they would have put together at that point, um, so yeah, I I um I hope that that was the turning point. Uh, to get to get back to your question, I hope that was the turning point. That it's like, all right, we we gutted one out, and we know we have what it takes to win no matter what. But let's never ever get in that situation again because they really haven't been like Purdue, um. They they had Purdue at arm's length for the majority of that game. Wisconsin, tough place to play against a team that in the front seven you didn't match up well against, and you were leading, you know, by seven. You probably should have been leading. You definitely should have been leading by ten at halftime. You lose your quarterback, you lose the lead, and how do you respond? Thirty-one straight points. Um, if anything, I would maybe argue that that could be the turning point for this team. Was Jack Cohn going down, you know, and even if he comes back to play, but just him going down in that game, and then you give up the lead, but how you're able to respond to that in the way that they did, uh, I'm hoping that is really the turning point for this team to say, this is what we are capable of. And Wisconsin's probably better than what their record looks like, I would argue right now. Yeah. Um, I think they'll probably give Iowa some trouble. I think they'll probably give Michigan some trouble, especially because of the way they stopped the run and Michigan's inability to throw. We'll talk about that at a later time. But, um, yeah, so I'm hoping this is actually the turning point, maybe more than the Toledo game. But either way, whatever it is that has clicked, um, I hope it just keeps clicking and you just keep you know, lining them up and knocking them down on your way to hopefully your third college football playoff. Um, and man, you know, who knows what can happen? You just got to get there. You just got to get there and get the right matchup. Who knows? Um, you know, it'd be nice to get a three and not a four, uh, you know, it, <laughs> just statistically speaking, you know, but who knows? So I don't know. Any final thoughts from you? Nope, I'm good. All right. Uh, you know who else is good? The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They are 4-0. They have their biggest game of the season um, coming up this week, um, at least to this point in the season, their biggest game coming up against Cincinnati. I'll be watching. Mark, I know you'll be watching. I've got a very busy day Saturday, and so I'm still going to figure out a way to watch this game. I don't want to miss it. Uh, I'm not a big DVR guy. I can't go back and watch stuff that's already over. I get too many texts and alerts and all that, so I gotta find a way to carve out time to watch this game, but I want to. I would be there if I could, but I can't. Um, 
So that's all we have for this segment. Um, if you were coming here for our full college football recap and you're wondering how long this is going to go, this is over. This is all we're doing is just the Notre Dame game. We are going to cover the other games, um, including us introducing our own top 10 here uh, in a separate segment. So stick with us for that. Um, but this is this was fun. Uh, this episode was fun, but not as much fun as watching Notre Dame just beat the pants off of Wisconsin and just run away with that one. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Thank you for listening. This has been That's Debatable, the best sports podcast on the internet.